0: Welcome to Authentic Voice, the podcast for music and its contexts. Hi, my name is Gerard Young, and this is the Authentic Voice podcast. Woo! This is the first time I've actually said that. Um, this is today. I'm with uh, my friend, musician, multi instrumentalist Jeff Ends, and he is uh, does everything from. Church music to singing professionally with uh, professional choirs, to teaching students, um, kids, adults. He has made his life in music, and it's a real pleasure to have you here today, Jeff. <laughs>
1: <sighs> it's a pleasure to be here, Gerard. It's a good sound. I like your sound. So
0: <laughs> um, Jeff is going to talk to us uh, very briefly about... Um, this life in music you have, which is really unusual compared to a lot of uh, when we think of a person as just maybe doing one style of music or doing uh, playing guitar their whole lives or just playing the French horn in an orchestra, your life's really different, Jeff. So can you tell us a little bit about
1: that? Well, I don't play French horn, so that's very different. You could if you wanted to because you're really good. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was born into a musical family. My, my dad... Um, has three brothers, and my grandfather, so his father was a choir director for 50 years or or longer. So I grew up, my mom was the accompanist for the choir and also church organist, and taught piano. So at an early age, I had to sit through choir rehearsals, but I would play Lego underneath the grand piano, (laughs) and I would sing along with my, my mom's piano students. I would sing their scales and that. So my mom thought, hmm, maybe there's something, maybe this kid, you know, he's not just Eating gum off the floor. He's singing along with the with with my students. And Maybe it was um, because you were eating <clears> gum off. It was really good gum. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it could have it could have helped. It was knowledge. It was enhancing musical enhancing gum. It's like a superpower. Yeah. It was it was kind of Willy really Wonka N- nutrition food. Yeah, yeah,
0: some sort of genius food. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's that, that's the only reason I got here. <laughs> well, um,
0: well, where's here? We don't even know where here is. But yeah, go on, go on. So what?
1: So I started um, a friend of my mother's started her kid on violin and said hey you should take you should jeff should take violin lessons too so i started violin and um i i I sort of i think i really took to it i i enjoyed it i always um i I love church music when i was my mom would talk about how when i was little i would be humming with with just an empty bottle like i would be done my milk or whatever and i would just hum and i was playing organ so that was what i was doing Holy cow. So I always, that was one of my first memories was them installing the pipe organ in my church. So you grew up just in the middle of, of this great church music culture, which was mm-hmm. this the
0: Mennonite culture yep. that we have here in Kitchener-Waterloo? Well,
1: it's, it's M- M- Russian Mennonite, which is Russian Mennonite. different than Swiss Mennonite, but not different. I mean, my church happened to, it had been a Presbyterian church. Right. And then when my family came to Canada, like my grandparents and that, and they, they were looking for a church, they actually met above Harmony Lunch. And they, it was a dance hall on Saturday nights, and they'd come in Sunday morning yeah. and sweep up and clean the place up and have church there. And then when this church came available, it it already had an organ in it. So we were one of the few Mennonite churches that had a pipe organ. How unusual! That's that's kind of crazy. So it's not that unusual, but it we already had one there, so it was a, it was a tradition. Yeah. Um, so it, then it died in the very early seventies, and then we put a new. Instrument in 1974, I believe. Do you
0: think that that background in church music um, sort of prepared you or influenced you in be- becoming this sort of crazy multi-instrumentalist? Like, how many? What are the instruments that you play and teach? I mean, you play. Um,
1: I, actually, I find Tuesdays are my craziest day. I teach violin, viola, cello, and double bass on the same day. I've only got six students. <laughs> well, <laughs> on, on that day. Okay, and and what else do
0: you play and teach? Um, I I it's teach all,
1: uh, all all the strings I teach. Um, I also play piano and organ and you know the the keyboard instruments. So I'm music director at a church. Mm-hmm. So I play organ, direct the choir wow. and then and play piano whenever need be. So I don't, I I don't have any piano or organ students at the moment. Okay. Um, I'm a bit more comfortable teaching strings just because I've been doing it more. Mm-hmm.
0: And you and you also play what else? What else do you play? That's it. But you sing professionally, right? Yes. And who do you sing for? Uh, I
1: sing with the Laura Festival Singers, who are now just the Laura Singers, I guess, and okay. um, the Canadian Chamber Choir. So both. And then I sing groups. with various professional groups. Um, Nota Bene sort of does one-off gigs here and yeah. there, and I've I've done a number of those, and I'm doing one on Palm Sunday as well.
0: So so that's that's high-level professional singing. Those are some of the best choirs in in Canada, and are the are also have large. Um, recording um, uh, discographies, and yeah, so you're on a lot of recordings? Not a lot, but probably about six, maybe. Wow. So you've made this whole life in music, and you're obviously pretty happy about it. You seem to be pretty happy about it. Um, yeah? Uh, are you happy? Yes,
1: yeah. I, I can't imagine not doing it. Um, I have I have done, I, I've, I've had lots of jobs over my... Well, what you work with? My life so what's far. Your worst one? What's your worst um, I worked with a concrete hole drilling guy. That's a music job? Oh, no, no, that wasn't a music oh, job. Oh, okay. No, it was a guy, he would just, he had a nervous tick of flicking his teeth. He had false teeth and he would flick them in and out of his mouth all the time. And and like him, out? Yeah. Oh. And like sort of on the edge of his lip and put them oh. back. And he he laughed a lot and sort of wheezed when he talked. <laughs> and basically my job was to was to vacuum the the water from the saw. He would drill holes in a, like apartment buildings to put new stacks in for the or ventilation or whatever else.
0: And you would suck the water out of the drill holes.
1: Yeah. Wow. So I just wore earplugs and this guy didn't wear any hearing protection at all and was deaf as a stump. And I just, that's I mean, your worst job. It was a probably one of them just because it was so loud. Yeah. I mean, we didn't, I only, it was one of those temp places and I only worked for about three days for this guy, wow. which was more than enough. Did, what was your worst music job? My worst music job. Or have
0: they all been just wonderful?
1: Um, have you ever been fired for a music job? You don't have to say we can, we can cut it. No, I don't think I've been fired. Amazing. Good for you. No, I've been, I actually, I've been told that if I resign from my church job now, they won't accept my resignation. So that's always nice to have your, oh, that's nice. Yeah, I have yeah. my yearly review and they say, well, don't ever leave. So only, yeah, only death. Well. <laughs> you I mean, know, and I will awesome. only retire about three weeks after I'm dead <laughs> no yes they'll keep you on as long as
0: possible so what I'm, I've asked you what your worst music job is but what about your best like what is your or is it the combination of
1: things that makes this really fulfilling for you um I really I love singing I, I love I love performing and I think it's it's only really in the last I don't know maybe five years that I haven't been ridiculously nervous before a gig including church like i would never ever i was never able to eat breakfast because i was so nervous before a service even if it was you know there was hardly anybody there and i was just doing really easy music um
0: but it's still nervous still gets you really
1: yeah i mean not so much i mean it's not it was never debilitating quite sometimes it was close and like you know super shaky um i never really got nervous singing in a choir because it's you know there's a bunch of other people there and I just love the interaction. Um, I love the sound of the human voice. Wow! And I've sung my whole life. I mean, I grew up singing in choirs, and it it only mm-hmm. sort of dawned on me in the last ten years that, hey, I can actually not make. I can't make a living singing, but I'm mm-hmm. jumping between various professional ensembles and mm-hmm. teaching and having a, a quarter time church position. It's kind of all works. Kind yeah, works. I, I mean, and I was told in high school that I really needed to pick one instrument and focus on it. Right, <coughs> we all told that, right? And I said, but I don't want to. Mm-hmm. Did they kick you out or? No, I remember detention? my grade 13 music project, we had a little recital and I played, I played a piece on piano. I think we had a harpsichord there, like, wow. just, like a little yeah. kit harpsichord. So I played some you know, Frescobaldi galliarda that was not very hard. So I played harpsichord, piano, bass, cello, viola, and violin yeah. in this thing. So, and, and I think it was just always, well, of course, what, what instrument am I going to do now?
0: Yeah, so you're always constantly learning. and, what, and
1: Well, had... I started out on violin, yeah, and then, yeah. and then um, my teacher was looking for somebody to play, like, three notes in a Suzuki orchestra on cello. There you go. They had a ton of, like, you know, 80 violins and one cello, or nobody playing cello. And you had to play bum, bum, So, bum, yeah, I, like I played bum. open A and open D. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, I like this. And so I started taking cello lessons. And because I'd already done violin for a bunch of years, it was not exactly the same, but it's not that far off either. Right. And cello just really, I, I loved it. And then I started playing youth orchestra, and then they said, hey, this, this was, and I quote my, my audition, hey, you've got big hands, you want to play viola? Because <laughs> right. we, we right. lost about four violas, so I picked up a viola and tried to learn alto clef in a week and showed up and played through Mars from the planets the next week. Not very well, but... There you were. And yeah. then our bass player dropped out of high school when I was in high school at orchestra, so I started playing bass. That's great. And then when did, did you... piano, and I always wanted to play organ.
0: When did you start playing? When did you start composing, though? Jeff, is also you're also an amazing composer, a well-published, and certainly one of the most successful composers we have in the KW area, especially in choral music. You're well-known. So uh, what happened there? Like, how did that happen? So um, like you were busy playing everything when you have time to compose anything. Well,
1: I always, I, there was always sort of music happening in my head. It was just a, how to get it out of my head, which uh-huh. was fairly difficult. Um, or I hadn't figured it out. I tried to write, I loved fugues and stuff, even though I was useless at math. Right. That sort of, I don't know, I guess mathematical formulas, as long as they don't call them mathematical formulas, then they, they, work. they, well, they work with me. Well, so I would try and this? write fugues. But, I, you know, I'd get three entries in, and then I, I gave up. Okay. So it wasn't really until university, I think, second or third year, that I took first year composition. Mm-hmm. And then that was, you know, we'd have to come up with something. And I would I, I, I would have a lot of vivid dreams, too. So I figured at least if I had a piece based on a dream, I would explain the dream. And even if the piece was garbage, it had an interesting story. So people wanted to hear what I was going to come up with because at least it was an interesting story.
0: Yeah. yeah. Was, uh, so it sounds like university was the place you got to be a composer. What, was that true? Was it that suddenly university was home and they well, I said you were a great composer, Jeff? And, and no, uh, they
1: definitely did not say that. Why? I mean, um, like well, like being... I, took, I took composing and improvising for organists at the same time, okay. which both sort of complemented each other. Because I always wanted to improvise and, and do stuff. You know, I'd hear people playing these amazing things on organ just how do you make this magic happen Mm -hmm. and then you need you need a whole box of tools to to do that and so using those in composition and using composition styles in the improvisation that it worked very well together Mm
0: -hmm. but you're sorry yeah so that was that's great but it sounds still sounds like pretty much paradise university
1: um, and I, I had the, re- I had this reputation as the conservative composer who liked melody, which I did because I was a singer and I, um, uh, not that I studied voice, but I mean, I, I, who wants to listen to a lot of people, I mean, cartoons are great for that. Yeah, and I like that in cartoons. Movie tracks. Yeah. And, but just, and, yeah. I mean, we were, seemed to be very much stuck in the fifties still mm-hmm. and moving towards. Post modernism, post romantic, post whatever.
0: Right. So what? What is your? your point, though? I mean, you're what
1: was my point? Maybe, I have yeah. no idea. <laughs> <yeah. laughs> oh, so that's um, the university. So, so I was. I was about the only guy who actually was writing anything for choirs. Okay, so
0: choral music was yeah.
1: not really taught. It was. It was taught as no. A it was. It was much more. You know, if you're an orchestral, if you're writing for orchestra, then you're cool. Mm-hmm. If You're writing so for you, choirs, oh, like who? Whatever. So are there I, we get it. So you weren't cool. Well, I've never been particularly cool. i pretty cool. Yeah. Well, look who's saying that. No, that worked, stop. We're both. It's not that big voice. So, <laughs> so,
0: yeah. So, it wasn't a cool thing to write for choirs. What's that about?
1: There's. I if it wasn't like, cool. It was just sort of. No, they didn't. People didn't do it. I mean, right. It was more of a an instrumental bent to things. Okay. All right. And you weren't writing all that much instrumental. You were
0: writing. You I was. Right,
1: I mean, we, we, each week we or each two weeks we we have an assignment due every two weeks, and you have to come up with. There was some part of. I don't even remember what it was necessarily, but I remember the first piece that I wrote for choir and it wasn't really very good. Mm. I kind of ripped off a little bit of Healy Willen. <laughs> and that, so, I mean, that, that was a big compliment, right? Yeah. Oh, you sound like Healy Willen. It's like, well, that's a lot better than, right. You know, you sound like, I don't know, somebody that I don't like that I've never heard of. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and, and so it happened in a student composer concert and I had a lot of people come up to me and say, wow, I've never heard anything like that at a student composer's concert mm-hmm. um, at the same time I was sort of oh well you know you're sounding like you're writing church music and I like well of course I am I'm studying organ I'm a church musician you why know why wouldn't I write church music <clears throat> and who well who's going to well who's going to sing choir music like, well there's more people that sing in, in Canada and in the world like everybody sings yep. whether they do it well or not
0: yeah. and I should add during uh, Jeff that in the last survey that was done which was done 10 years ago now 10 or 11 years ago that choral singing this is self-identified choral singers of which in the United States there's 28 million over that and so in Canada and the US there's probably between 34 and 35 million self-identified choral singers making it the biggest pastime in North America bigger than any sport bigger than fishing all of that bigger than uh, taking your truck out and uh, going in a circle in the woods (laughs) but no, none of us do that
1: and (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I don't so, have a truck. I do, I do yeah. that with my with my little Toyota. No. Yes.
0: Exactly. <laughs> That's so fun. You have a Toyota? Anyway, let's not talk about that. Matrix. Oh, <laughs> right Toyota music. So, but we've got this huge pastime, or this, so many singers, and so you really write stuff for them. Your stuff is, uh, Jeff, your stuff is really melodic and uh, beautiful, so I've had some of my choirs um senior stuff. It's always always great. And it's really popular now. I mean as far as choral music goes, right? You regular Yeah, yeah.
1: I everyone, you know, I, composing is weird because you sit or sort of sit in your own little isolation tank, is, yes. isolated world yes. and then send stuff out into the world and hope that people will will love it. And I still, I mean, my first commission was 20 21 years ago, I think. Wow. And I still am a little bit paranoid every time I say yes to something that I'll, either I either won't come up with something or I'll write it and they won't like it. Right, right. Because, you know, we all just want to be loved, right?
0: I, I don't know. I,
1: well, okay, so I, I do. I do, I do, I guess. I, do. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's. But, but anyways, that's I, so I, yeah,
0: we're. We, we 20 at, where years is? Of, of composing, and has that been the most, well, it's been a, obviously rewarding, but, and you're obviously really good at it. But what... It's it taken been?
1: a long time to yeah, sort of... That's what I was getting at. Yeah. Not, I mean, I, I, and I can't... I wouldn't want to do it only. I think I would... Oh, okay. I would burn okay. myself out. I wouldn't yeah. know... It, it would terrify me to just do that full time. And not play instruments and not... Yeah. I mean, I, I would have to do that. But also, in order to make a living, I don't think I could do that. Yeah. Listen... But the But the chances of having... Right. I'm oh, no. way over, right?
0: Yeah, well, in for sake of time,
1: and I'll edit I'll have to edit a couple things down. We'll try to I, I was just this. gonna say the chances of having a, a three-minute choir commission as opposed to a 30-minute orchestra commission. Played more than once, yes. Well, even getting one. Yeah, yeah, you tend to get like, one. Like to get an orchestral commission, like there's not a very big pool of that. Yeah. But I think commissioning a choral piece, it seems to be much more common than it was when i was in high school or even university for that matter is that true yeah. i my may or may not, my perception is that it is
0: i i get you know i'm not a very active composer and i am regularly commissioned which is very strange to me and it, it is really strange and so we are definitely in a flux world right now or a, a world where the music scene is really changing and uh, definitely favors choirs right now and people want to sing and they
1: need stuff to sing and or people get excited when, you know, it, what? It's, this isn't a, a, dead, a guy who's been dead for three hundred years. Like, there's yeah. still people doing this.
0: Like, people are actually and writing. This
1: is somebody who lives in our community. Who? Oh wait, you know, my my brother's my brother, uncle's yeah, friend yeah, went to school with him in kindergarten or yeah. something. You know, there's always connections,
0: right? Like, Especially yeah. in
1: the coral world, because like it's such recycle. a small, such a small. I mean, it's it's a huge world, the huge country that we live in, but the choral world is really very... Well, it's tight. Yeah, Yeah,
0: it's very tight. Well, you're talking about the classical choral music world. Beyond that, there are lots and lots of choral singers who, I mean, they're absolutely everywhere. And uh, in the community music scene, we access people we never thought of before who also need music, Um, dementia choirs, and people who are uh, suffering from, or or, who are autistic and are still singing
1: within music therapy. Stuff I find that it? very interesting too, because it, I mean, it's, it's always been kind of, you know, I've, I've got too many th- irons in the fire already, Yeah. but it's been something that's been very interesting to me. Cool. Um, and even more so now that my dad has dementia.
0: So you would go and go in that direction if, if as a musician, if you could,
1: maybe, I don't know if, if I could
0: clone myself, I would go in every direction, but yeah, you know. agreed. Agreed. Yeah. And with every instrument, right. It'd be so fun. But it would be lonely, too, because you wouldn't be able to let anyone else into your funny little world. Okay, which is a good world. All the poems would get together and we'd never leave the house. It's true. And you... Oh, no, I won't think of it. Um, what, <laughs> we just play string quartets. So I matter. have one more... Phew, have an orchestra. Um, I have one more question for you, and that is this uh, a podcast will be listened to mostly by students and people who are interested in lives and music and authentic voices in music, of which you are one. And... But do you have some advice for, especially students who may want a life in music? What would you say to them?
1: Um, Don't close any doors. Always be open to, you you never know what you're going to end up. I mean, when I started university, I I was thinking I wanted to be an orchestral viola player. Right. And then, and, and maybe play in a rock band and also have a church job. And then I ended up working for a pipe working company which I loved and I thought, well, maybe I would do that. Right. And then I got married and had kids and then I was staying home with kids. So at the same time, I was teaching a little bit to try and make a living on the, you know, not a living, but a little bit on the side. Right. And do more than just make food and change diapers. Yep. And um, then I sort of ended up singing professionally and I I keep worrying that, you know, that someday someone's going to say, hey, you didn't study voice. What are you doing singing in these, all, all these professional choirs? And I figure I'm going to say it to you now, Jeff, listen, you've never
0: studied classical voice. You haven't gone to a a big voice teacher, though. your sister's awesome and um, amazing singer. So what are you doing in all these professional choirs? Like, do you really have
1: to study
0: voice to be a professional singer?
1: What if you a professional, you? professional, if you want to do solo uh, soloist, yeah.
0: what What about choirs? What about these professional choirs, which are like vocal orchestra? I
1: think you really need to music. listen. Ah. Okay. I mean, you need to listen all the time, but, um, I mean, I mean, I've grown up, I've always sung choirs my entire life and I've, I've developed, I've become a really good sight reader from an early age and partly from being a multi-instrumentalist. So as long as I don't think, you know I, I found it a little bit confusing i jumped between cello and bass so it was the same clef, but totally different fingerings and different strings mm-hmm. and then i'd jump into the alto clef, and then i'd sit down and play organ and ah yeah and somehow my brain can process that
0: so what do they need <clears throat> i mean you're giving this advice to students what what do they need do they need to get out there and have lessons and everything or do they need to prepare and hide themselves from the world for 20 years and then and say I'm ready, or you can it depends on what you just want to dive do. Dive in there
1: and do D- it. dive in and do it. Always take as many lessons as you can when you when you so can. If, if so you're in school, studying. when you're in school, especially, that's when you've got. I mean, I'm still I've still got pieces that I learned on Oregon at university that are kind of on life support, so I can haul them out. You know, the the party pieces, right? And I still. Because once you get into the real world, and you're the real world as opposed to school, right? Um, where you don't have time, you're trying to juggle work, family, it, or or whatever. So you can lose focus, or or you just don't have the time to do it.
0: Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, but just be always be kind to other people once because you never nice. know who you're going to influence. Yeah. Um, and and somebody, I mean, you say one little thing. I've I've had people. I feel like I'm, when I was a boy, you know, somebody came up and told me, I remember playing at um, the CNE competition and my teacher said, guaranteed, everybody gets, you know, $500 scholarships. Wow. And it was my first year playing cello, or I think I'd been playing for maybe a year, and I was playing this really very basic piece, like grade two cello, and I was playing against some woman who was fourth year violin performance major at U of T who did the Brook Violin Concerto, mm-hmm. and just blew me away. And I thought, how are we in the same class? Yeah. And I was just, I was so disappointed. I think yeah. I was nine or eight. I was like, oh, I suck. This this is terrible. And this guy who was the principal cellist of the TSO came up and said, I really liked your tone. Mm-hmm. You know, you you really sound good. And I'm like, Pfft, whatever, buddy. You know, wow. so I, you know I, I didn't say whatever, buddy, as an eight-year-old, to the right. guy But I I will never, ever forget that. And he just said something nice to me.
0: And that really made a huge impression. I have an opposite impression going off. I mean, I think this is fantastic advice. Well, I've had lots of negative
1: impressions, too. I mean,
0: I was in a a competition, which I'll insert in here. I was in a competition early in uh, singing voice stuff, um, which I've always done well at in those school situations. But I did have somebody who really read me the riot act for mispronouncing um, a British composer's name, and was it was a horrible moment. I hadn't sung a note. He just he just stopped me at the introduction and corrected me in front of everyone. So it, that was so negative. Of course, the result was not good for me, and that has stayed with me. So the unkindness can stay a really long time, and the kindness can stay even longer. And
1: well, we've talked about this before, um, just about teachers and. I, I mean, now that I... I was always a little bit worried to be a teacher because what if I was like my first violin teacher who was... I don't know if cruel is necessarily. I mean, she certainly... It was a very much a... If you picture Blues Brothers, the nun from Blues Brothers, she was very much like that. Yeah. You know, total totalitarian regime. Yeah. Um, very strict. But, you know, that was... The 1970s were definitely different than the 2000... And, tens or wherever we are now right? but there's
0: still very I mean there's still people who treat other people um, as if they are uh, well like treat them unkindly or find a, a way of thinking in which they uh, allow themselves to treat people as, as not human and that's probably um, more prevalent now in our society than but I'm then saying. I had a
1: teacher that just you know didn't praise me unnecessarily but compliment like when I did something well yes. really encouraged me and it's like wow I totally want to I want to practice. I want to work harder just so that you'll say more nice things to me. Because it feels good. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And and I, and I was getting better too, which is a really nice yeah. side so I know
0: so the, and the, So the teacher's role, I mean, for you, it sounds like uh, as you're giving advice to our students and, and other people that there's an important role there for any musician, especially a teacher, that you're treating other people pretty well, but also on this affirmation thing. And I'm thinking in terms of everybody else. You know, 28 or 34 million singers out there. If you're one of those people who is going to be auditioning them or letting them into groups that um, that's a crucial time when you can be kind.
1: Well, and do the performing. best. I mean, I think about my church choir, which is about eight now. And I mean, the, the oldest person in my choir is about 77, I think. Yeah. And the youngest person is about 64. Yeah. So people, <laughs> excluding me. Yeah. Um, but you know what? They, I, they, they really, I mean, we have a lot of fun. We laugh. So you can do the best music that you possibly can with whatever you've got at any time. And it, Every, everything, everything is a perform not a, not a performance, but always try and do the best that you can. But everything's important, right? Yeah. That when concern? you're, when you're playing. Yeah. I mean, really, because you, you never know who, who will be there and who will be touched by whatever you've done.
0: When it's those, the people that you are, I mean, some of those people they're are 75, 80 years old, I mean, really could be their last choir.
1: And I have a violin student who's 86 or 85. She changes her age weekly, it's, but somewhere between 84 and 86. <laughs> <laughs> it's an era. She she, has circa? <laughs> she can't really get out of the house, but she really, she, I mean, she told me, she said she really, she's too stubborn to quit violin and she really looks forward to me coming to fantastic. her house.
0: That's
1: fantastic. So, you know, sometimes we get things accomplished and sometimes we don't, but it's still just the music, there's not an age barrier
0: well, this multi—I mean, we didn't talk about this, but the, what I'm hearing is that the multi instrumentalist that you have made yourself into really functions in this important across a really important social spectrum, and you—you you seem to have taken on a role that we don't really have any name for, whether it's music therapist or community musician or teacher. They sort of encapsulate all—all all of those. But Jeff, it's—it's it's such a fascinating, uh, fascinating life that you have created and. I want to thank you for inspiring us, and hopefully, um, hopefully, you'll get to inspire uh, students of all ages for many years to come through your compositions and all of these incredible instruments that you play. So, thank you for this thing. Thank you, Jared. Okay, take care. So, Jeff, you have one more thing uh, to add. I shouldn't say
1: that. I won't say the word
0: Well, no, you probably should,
1: and I'll edit. But um,
0: because racism is a big deal, and it is, uh, we live in a place that was called Berlin, right? We're in uh, Mm -hmm. a German center of um,
1: actually Waterloo was called Waterloo, Waterloo. Kitchener was called Berlin.
0: Okay, and so a a concentrated German population, um, very European, and then uh, mostly white, like predominantly white. And you, so tell us your two minute story about this encounter with racism that you.
1: Well, I grew up. Going to school with mainly kids from the, um, what did I say? Married married student apartment buildings. Yeah, yeah. So my school was maybe mm-hmm. 150 kids. And we had at least 30 or 40 countries represented wow. in, our, in our school population. Because of the university population. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it, And it was also very transient. So I had more pen pals by the time I was in grade four than most people have in their life.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and my best friend, his parents were East Indian. and had come in the in the 60s, I think. And um, I had a friend from South Africa. I had, I had lots of—I mean, just yeah, friends from, from everywhere. Yeah. And just, yeah. it just—and my, my, my other best friend um, was from Hong Kong.
0: So this is great. So you had this multicultural yeah. upbringing.
1: And with... he was born in Hong Kong. His name was Xing Shang, which became Sunshine. And his brother was born here, so he was Frank, <laughs> <laughs> which I always found hilarious. <laughs> anyway, so we <clears throat> were walking home from school. My friend Simal, who who was a fairly fairly dark skinned East Indian. Um, and I just remember these, these, these bad Catholic boys would always come and the bullies, beat the bullies would yeah. come, you know, punch us or throw us. There was one hedge that we always got thrown through oh, and we, God. you know, we almost re- destroyed the hedge just from us going through it. And, uh, anyways, the one time the well, I think it was probably grade three, grade four, maybe. Um, that was the first time I ever heard the N word. And so these guys, these bullies came up and, you know, I think they maybe punched us once and then called UFN N word mm-hmm. to edit that properly for the, uh,
0: yeah.
1: And so the, the sensors and, and I, how
0: did he react to that?
1: He was so upset. He just, he just started crying and was really, and I said, what do you, what's, what's the problem? You know, they just, they just yelled at us this time. We got away easily. Yeah, No hedge. Yeah. We didn't have to go through the hedge. Exactly. Yeah. We didn't go through the hedge this time. And he just was not inconsolable, but almost like it was only two blocks home and he just cried the whole way. And he just wanted to go home. Yeah. And so I went, inside and my mom said Well, oh, how was your day and i said oh well you know same old guys and i said but they seem was so upset and i don't know why all they did was was say call him this. was call him this n-word and i said what does that even mean and then my mom just sort of said well she kind of sighed and said you know i think we need to some people judge you for you know where you're from color of your skin whatever else and it just i mean growing up in in this area in I mean yes, Waterloo was probably very predominantly yeah.
0: well, white in the, in the 70s
1: in, in some ways, but it was also very diverse where I was. University Yes, yeah, University. Yeah oh and then in university too um, and, and another experience was when I went on a youth orchestra trip to Indianapolis and um, we stayed with this family and they said, we wanted to go for a walk because it was really hot, and we just felt yeah, like going. Get you know, getting know, to know these kids. We walked maybe six blocks, and then they they said, "Oh, we, we don't go here. We've never we've we've never been in this neighborhood. You don't go. This is the the black neighborhood. We don't go here." Wow. I'm like, "What? You have a black neighborhood?" It's like, "Cool. Can we go? I want to go. I want to go yeah. see people, you know." And we we walked down, and all there were lots of people on their porches scowling at us, like, "What are you boys yeah, doing here?" And it just I, it. made no sense to me whatsoever and we actually got chased by a guy with a gun and another guy with a chain and they were threatening us and i was kind of running and i started laughing because this is the most ridiculous thing i've ever been part of and that was i think grade nine or grade ten anyways in in, um in another interview
0: i would asked you about that in impact of those kind of experiences on your on your music as well but in like less than 10 seconds that we have left. Can you
1: tell us how that may have impacted you as a musician? Um, well, I think just the fact that I'm, I, I feel comfortable with anybody. I mean, it's whatever you, I mean, my son's adopted and he's half black and people say, well, what did you think when you got him? So I thought, well, here's my son. Cause I didn't know what my daughter was going to look like when she was born either. So wow. this is, here's your kid. I mean, it's, it's your personality. We're all people. You just, you're a your product of your influences, and so I, I like to take little bits from everything that I've ever encountered. I mean, you're an amazing person, Jeff. Thank so you, you for today.
0: this. Uh, thank you for this interview. This has been an Authentic Voice podcast.